Well, thank you, Dan, and uh, great to be with you at Bible Truth again in Miami. My privilege to be here. This gorgeous weather, of course, we didn't bring from Canada. In fact, tomorrow morning, if we can get packed up today, we're busy uh, cleaning the boulevard house and packing, but we're going to set off for the frozen north. They had snow on Friday, and I checked my snow tires were inflated. Everyone's curious about my great big tires here, but it's because we do have snow in Canada. Do, do pray for us. Uh, Jane will be driving from the passenger seat most of the way, <laughs> and we'll need your prayers. But it is a joy to say hello and goodbye again with God's... In the will of God, we may well be back next year. It depends how this sermon goes, I guess, but <laughs> we'll see <laughs> You know, I was thinking this morning, when, when Dan gave out that uh, hymn, Years I Spent in Vanity and Pride, there was a little family joke. I grew up in a Christian home, that's a great privilege, although I didn't really have a full encounter with the Lord till I was an undergraduate at university. I made a childhood profession that I reaffirm later, but by... You know, I've never been able to sing in tune, but I always like to sing, and they family story is that when I was three years old, three years old, I was running around the house singing, years I spent in vanity and pride. <laughs> so I always think about uh, the years I have spent, not all in vanity and pride, because the Lord did save me at an early age, and that's a great blessing. Uh, but anyway, we need to get on because we have an interesting little series to finish. Remember, I talked about two things God did for us on last Sunday, the way Peter was restored by the risen Lord, and Wednesday night, how we're represented by the ascended Lord, done the ascension, resurrection, ascension, but of course Jesus is coming again. And this time we're going to talk about something we have to do. The Lord restores, the Lord represents, but we have to be ready for the returning Lord. And so we're going to talk about that great story that Jesus told in Matthew 25 about being ready for his return. Very important chapter, Matthew 24, signs of the coming of Christ in Matthew 25. Actually a misunderstood chapter in some ways, but it's a chapter you remember where Jesus told three parables or stories, earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, they say, parables about the need for us to remain spiritually vigilant and active and ready as we wait for his return. There's a story that we're going to talk about this morning, the, the ten bridesmaids or virgins because they were unmarried, as the Bible often calls them, uh, but there's also the story of the talents and, and that section at the end about the King Jesus coming to sort out like a, a shepherd sorting out sheep and goats. All important stories and they all really have the same emphasis. We're going to deal with the first one about being ready. And that's of course a consistent and important emphasis in the New Testament. If you read the New Testament, there are lots of verses like this. Hebrews 10.37 For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Of course, we little while from our point of view can seem like a more than a lifetime, but this is God's perspective, of course, an eternal perspective, 
our three score years and ten, and these days a lot more than that with the grace of God and progress in medicine, but it's still a very little while. And the promises are there. Revelation, this is how the Bible finishes. Yes, I am coming soon. It's a very clear message in the Bible. It may seem a long time to us, but a certain and soon return. And what Matthew 25 is all about, the whole chapter is about what we should be doing while we're waiting for his return. Not just loafing around like I said in an earlier talk. While we wait, we need to be doing something. And uh, this story, the first 13 verses, the bridesmaid story, is about being ready, being alert. Then the, the talent story, which is in the next few verses, is about being active and working and, and using our gifts. And then finally, there's this call to be anticipating. Uh, and it's a little section about the king receiving some and rejecting others. And that's the whole theme of the chapter, to be alert and to be active and to be anticipating. But in fact, even in this first story, in the first 13 verses where Jesus talks about a a wedding with ten bridesmaids the same themes come up and it's an important story about being wise or not being foolish and it's a call this ten bridesmaids parable is a call to be alert always ready as we wait for the Lord's return and you'll see the themes through the whole chapter actually appear in this story a story that challenges us and it should challenge us this morning to make every effort as we wait not just waiting because we're going to see that our job is to make sure the light of our Christian witness continues to shine in what is an increasingly dark world so that's the, 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 the whole story but we need to understand this story and in order to understand it I do need to remind you about weddings in New Testament days. Things are a little bit different. I'm getting geared up for my eldest grandson's wedding on May the 6th, and I'm getting through all that stuff again that you have to remember about weddings. I was even told last night by my daughter about lavender. I thought, lavender, ties. Uh, this, we have different traditions than the New Testament days, so I want to remind you what happened in Israel weddings of course uh, were, as today were occasions for celebration but there was a lot of dancing and partying going on but what happened at their weddings was it concluded traditionally with a wedding feast at dusk the end of the day the wedding party which was, and they were accompanied by attendants with lamps they would go in a procession to the bridegroom's house for the feast and that's the context of the story. And these bridesmaids, called virgins in some versions because they weren't married, the story is they were going out to meet the bridegroom at dusk. They were going to the bride's house and they were going to have a procession back to his house for the wedding banquet. So that's the story. Procession back to the bridegroom's house for a banquet. And you can see how that could be applied big time to our hope of a marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, and of course these lamps are a key part of the story and they were important because villages in Bible times had no street lights. 
the houses were very crowded together. It was kind of difficult at night time. No, no lights, only little candlelights from the houses. And so the tradition was that they all had to carry their own lamp. Everyone had to have a lamp which they maintained, and it was important. Actually, people who didn't have the lamp were considered gate crashers. Um, it was almost your a- entry ticket. Actually, you know, I goofed up this morning. You have to apologize for this. I got so busy talking that I forgot. A little prop I had. We can organize it quickly because I wanted to get into uh, the spirit of this thing. And I happened to have some olive oil that I actually picked up in Nazareth. And yes, I have it. Uh, one thing about using props and experiments is you're supposed to get them ready ahead of time. <laughs> It'll give you time to get your brain around this because I do want to talk a little bit about these lamps. Uh, this this little guy that I wrapped up in case it broke and should have had out before, it's just a little clay lamp. I picked it up actually in Nazareth where Jesus was born. And this is genuine olive oil from Nazareth. Uh, with this, uh, these kind of conditions, I won't be able to show you much of a light. 1600 lumens. It's not a lot of light from this... But each carried one, and, and of course, if this was really soaking all from the clay pot, it would get quite a substantial frame. Now, on a dark night, that that is, that is enough. It's it's about uh, ten lumens, according to my research. Now, I've got to put that out, in there, and it's not easy, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so, uh, well, there you go. I failed again in my test. <laughs> Well, I want you to get a feel for the, uh, for the lamps and that, what it was like. But now as we go through the story, of course, like any parable, you have to be careful not to invent meanings for every detail. Uh, you know, what we're finding significance in the shape of the lamp or the number of bridesmaids or even being too dogmatic about the fuel in the lamps. I do have a explanation for the fuel in the lamps, but... You have to be careful not to read into Scripture. At one level, the basic application is absolutely clear. It's straightforward. Look, the bridegroom's Jesus. The bridesmaids are people like us uh, in the church with choices to make. And the bridegroom's arrival is clearly the second coming of Christ when there'll be a final judgment. Now, we'll So that's the basic application of the story. But there's some very important aspects when we get down to detail. Remember at the beginning it's a story about the kingdom of heaven, uh, sometimes in the New Testament called the kingdom of God. I don't distinguish between those. That means, the kingdom of heaven means the place where God reigns as sovereign ruler. And of course, uh, where, where have we gone here? What we learn in this story is our choices in life affect our place in the king, in, in Christ's kingdom. So that's clearly what it, this is what it's talking about. Very important about choices and the kingdom. And of course, it's important to realize this story 
means something in terms of how we live our Christian life today. And those three key challenges that I already said are in the whole chapter, they're all included in this first story. That we have to be ready, to be alert. That we have to be active while we're waiting. We have a personal responsibility. And of course, the finality of our choices. The whole chapter finishes with the king judging and separating. And so we do have to anticipate. Think about the judgment. And that's, that, that's the theme of the chapter, but it's the theme of this story, to be alert and to be active and to anticipate the Lord's return. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. About our readiness first, about being alert, being prepared and alert. So I, you know, if, if people say what you're speaking on, I usually don't say the wise and foolish virgins. I say, I'm talking about the parable of readiness. Because that's what the story is. And of course it ties in. Always when you're reading the Bible, don't just take a couple of verses out of context. It's following on Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is about the signs of the coming again of Christ. And then right at the beginning of chapter 5, it says, then, then. And so it's really saying... This story about the wise and foolish bridesmaids linked with all that has been said in Matthew 24 about Christ's return. So this passage is really a call to be ready and prepared for Jesus coming again. And what Jesus is stressing, first of all, is look, you can be wise, you can be foolish in life. Uh, and he's stressing people who make wise choices look ahead. They prepare for the f- future. And you know that in regular life. If you don't look ahead, how can you choose? We can't see too far ahead. That's why we have to trust God so often. But, but foolish people don't make choices at the night of the future. They just live life capriciously. There's no thought of allowing God's rule to determine their actions. But if you're a Christian believer, God... His rule has already started in your life. And his rule determines your actions. And the choices you make are with an eternal future in mind. We take what we call an eternal perspective. And so easy to forget that when we get busy in life. You see, the reality is, if you claim to follow and serve Christ, you can't just coast through life. You can't just... Say, well, I'm just going to do what I want. I mean, you have to live your life with an eye to the future. And you have to keep making choices and staying vigilant and be prepared for the fact that God is going to assess our lives. That's very important at the end of this chapter. Now, I I don't want to make a big deal about the fact that the bridesmaids were sleeping because both the wise and the foolish slept there. Even the wise ones enjoyed a very good sleep while they were waiting, because it it, it was a long wait. It seemed a long wait. It does seem a long wait for us, waiting for the Lord to come. Uh, But at the end of the day, one group was ready, and the other was unprepared. And when that crucial call came, hey, the group's coming! Man, the unprepared group, they couldn't respond. In fact, they ended up being excluded from the wedding feast, an ultimate tragedy. And we need to remember, as we think about the long wait, 
that Jesus has told us. He's told us clearly in Scripture it's going to get tough. Days are going to... People always say to me, oh, it's a terrible world. What's the world coming to? Well, it's coming to exactly what Jesus said it would. Uh, Matthew 24 is full of signs about the end of the age. And it's important to look at those. And throughout Matthew 24, Christ makes it clear that there will be an end to things as we now know them. And he makes it clear, very clear, that at the end, there will be an end to to things, but at the end of the day, we don't know when it's going to be. He makes it clear that actually even Christ himself is waiting for that moment when the Father said, this is it. We have to be very careful about that. You know, my father was a very godly man and he studied prophecy in great detail. And, and it was a it was a real expert on prophecy. But he was convinced the Lord would come in his lifetime. And I said to him, look, Scripture says nobody knows the day or the hour. He said, son, it doesn't say nobody knows the year. <laughs> so he, he figured he got the year. In fact, I could rarely prove my dad wrong in theology but at his funeral, 96 years old, uh, taking him full fright, I was able to say, my dad made a mistake. <laughs> the Lord didn't come in his lifetime. But we do find some Christians today speculating and calculating about something Jesus said nobody can know. Uh, and in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is, is not trying to create kind of starry-eyed disciples who spend the time searching for clues as to the timing of the second coming. What is encouraging, actually, is long-distance runners who are determined, whenever it is, to stay faithful, to be ready in the long haul. Believers will remain prepared, ready whenever it comes, even if it takes a lifetime. I like the story Warren Worsby told. There was a, and it's good. To, I'm not against detailed studies of prophecy. Don't get me wrong. But one man went through his prophetic chart, you know, the rapture and the tribulation and all those wonderful details that we're not getting into, of course, today. And someone came and said to the speaker, uh, one words be tells, I think it was him probably, he said, I see you're on the planning committee for the Lord's return. I've dropped off the planning committee to join the welcoming committee. The bottom line is I want to be ready and welcome the Lord when he comes. And that's the thrust of this passage. So if you're one of those Christians that find great prophetic significance in the latest clash in the Middle East um, and acting if the end is close, that's fine. But just be careful. Stay biblically based. Uh, And certainly, and I have met Christians like this, don't think you don't need to bother about long-term things. Like, long-term strategies who wants to take care of the environment if the Lord's coming soon no we have a responsibility to think long-term look we've got to nurture the faith of the next generation you should be worrying about your children and grandchildren coming to the Lord and being the church of tomorrow because we don't know and passing on that baton and all that stuff that we need to be doing so that there'll be Young people strong enough to deal with issues that may arise years from now. So be balanced about this. You see, Christ's call here is 
to be those disciples who stay the course, who remain faithful, whatever crops up in the long haul, and there will be terrible things cropping up. Jesus said that. Matthew 24 is full of terrible warnings. And the challenge is to be disciples who stick with the Christian program, obey Christ, whatever cancers or wars or terrorist attacks or ISIS or earthquakes or dictators or people bent on genocide, all that will appear and does appear. But whatever appears, our job is to remain ready for Christ's call. Uh, this looks like a t-shirt for a muscle man, but I'd love to have t-shirts that we were said, I'm ready, I am ready when he comes. And that's what the parable's about. So let's not mistake it. And it's a very telling parable because it, the second key challenge is not only to be ready, but to be active. And that's our personal responsibility. This is a very strong parable on being personally responsible. You think about this, it's a very interesting story because on the face of it, the refusal of those wise bridesmaids to share their oil, it hardly seems something that uh, Christ would encourage. I mean, you know what Jesus said. He called on his followers to share what they have. Remember what he said, Matthew 5, 40, he said, oh, if someone asks you should, give him your coat too. Be generous. Share. Don't be selfish, hanging on to everything. So one would expect a thoughtful, generous bridesmaid would say, well, I'll help you. Sure, let's divide the oil among us so that we can have ten half-full lamps uh, and so we can all burn some oil rather than some of being stuck with empty ones. Well, that's what you'd expect. And you think, how could these five wise bridesmaids be so unhelpful as to send the other five searching at midnight? And it wasn't like today. You know, last night, I said to Jane, we've no bread for your breakfast in the morning. Oh, man, it's late. Mind you, we didn't have time for breakfast, so we were glad of the refreshments. But uh, where did I go? I went and found a 7-Eleven. It was about 10 to 11, we just made it. This was midnight. Why were they looking for oil? There wasn't a handy convenience store. And these wise bridesmaids must have known it would be risky. I mean, five unprepared bridesmaids being risking being excluded from this joyful wedding and running around in the dark trying to get oil. Um, I, I thought about this a lot. Surely, in the light of all we know about our Lord, he, he can't be encouraging a callous attitude or implying that even if you have oil, you shouldn't share it. So that what, what is it about the oil? And I realize, I know oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and well, that fits fine, but I realize that oil really represents something that can't be shared. You see, there's a lot we can and should share. Jesus is right uh, and, and, and we need to share with those in need and, and, and get our food parcels out and all that as this, this uh, man's doing and that, that's absolutely clear and there's a lot you can share you can share your money you can share your home you can even donate a kidney uh, to, 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 to save somebody's life all the things you can and should share but there are some things that can't be shared there are some things that can't be borrowed for example, I, 
My faith is not what it should be, but I can't give you some of my faith because you're not believing. I can't make you a more faithful person. There's no surgeon that could take some of my hope or a bit of my love and transplant them into your heart. They do wonderful things, heart transplants. Twenty odd years ago, I had a bypass, and I've been jumping ever since. Wonderful what they can do. Fantastic. But surgeon can't do the love transplant. Yeah, listen, nobody can give you an active relationship with God without your personal response to Christ. Oh, if only I could preach and say, there it is, you got it. But I can't do that. You see, so whatever the oil represents, it's got to be something that can't be shared. And that lack of sharing of these five wise bridesmaids is just a stark reminder of this truth. Look, you can't live off somebody else's oil. People try to do it. The, 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 the one impu- Look, at my age I'm thinking, man, I've got to look after the kids. I'm going to be in heaven before I know it. Uh, uh, one of the important things people my age need to think about is reviewing your will. When I remarried, we had to look at our will. I found my will was no longer valid. And I had to make sure there were appropriate things done for family members that I love. And there's a lot of stuff that, that you should be giving to your grandchildren, teaching them the Word of God, telling them about the love of Jesus. But they can't live off your faith, even though your faith's so solid. There are veteran Christians here. But the, the reality is, no one can rely on a parent's or a brother's or a sister's relationship with God. How much you'd love it to happen. But no matter how much a family member loves someone, of, we pray for them and it does bring great results. And maybe it's after you've gone to heaven your prayers will be answered for your grandchildren. But the truth is, we all need to give urgent personal attention to things that can't be given away or borrowed. And that's an important lesson here. You, you know, you can't even borrow time. For we don't know what the next hour may bring. And that's why Jesus, in the climax of this story... As he got to verse 13, he said, Look, you keep awake because you don't know the day or the hour. We can't measure the time. And, and, and whether it's an extra day, or a personal relationship with God, or saving faith in Christ, there are vital things that no one can give you. I can't give you an extra day. I can't give you faith... You can't even share the most vibrant Christian... I mean, you can give your testimony, and you should give your testimony, but every person has to respond to Christ themselves in a personal way to make what Christ offers theirs. And if you've never done that, oh, you must do it. Don't rely on Bible truth, other people, family, none of those things. You see... Because the truth is there's no way you can live on the spiritual capital that others have accumulated. If you got that, there is no way you can live on the spiritual capital that others have accumulated. And you can only possess it for yourself by your own response, by your own preparedness. So it's a very personal story. And the parable is keeping your own light 
shining. That's what it's about. And the key element in this story is that wise bridesmaids were ready to walk with trim lamps which would continue to shine because they had the oil until they met the bridegroom. And in Matthew 16, Jesus reminds us that's what we have to do. Remember what he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let me put that so you can read it clearly. No, it's not there. But our calling as Christians, and this is true for the assembly as a local church, your calling is to shine, to show what Christ has done for us and show what Christ can do in us and has done in us so at least our neighbors can see things that would draw them to Christ. You know, the Boulevard Chapel where we're staying at the moment, five o'clock today is having a barbecue for the neighborhood. They'll sing some songs, free barbecue, to meet people just so they could try to show. So there's concrete things people can see about their Christian faith. You see, shining like lights, it's such an important image in Scripture because people need to see to believe. We always talk about words, but you know, Christian life is a life of show and tell. And our calling is people need to see to believe. Uh, We share the gospel with words, of course, but they need to see we need a light for that. Uh, And we need to continue to do that. Scripture is absolutely full of these kinds of exhortations, like Galatians 6. Let's not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as you have opportunity, do good to all people. That's part of our witness. That's what witnessing is about. And really... We have to continue to think of creative ways in which our friends and for the church, our neighborhood, indeed the city, Miami, what a needy place that they'd see something of our good works. And because of our demonstrated and undeniable goodness, because of things that we do, They'll do something actually amazing, said the Bible. They give glory to our Father in heaven. There are so many scriptures that reflect that the, the teaching of this parable, with its emphasis on doing something as we wait, on persistence, showing our faith, being lights, demonstrating the love of Christ with our deeds. Another one in Thessalonians. As for you, never tire of what? Doing what is right. Yes, saying is important, but all through Scripture, one more, I've got to give you 1 Timothy 6. This is for the rich, but the message is for all of us. Command those who are rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, willing to share. That's a principle. The oil was something we can't share, but share what we can. And why? It's laying a firm foundation for the coming age. That's the thrust of the parable. The Bible makes it absolutely clear what Jesus wants us to do, both as individuals and as a church, as we wait for Christ's return. He wants us, and that's what the talent story is all about. As we wait, the Lord wants us to be visible and active in our community. So this is 
the call of the gospel so that unbelievers they'll begin to recognize yes God's certainly with those folk that's what the Bible teaches because really the power of the gospel is seen in the things we do when we reach out to those who are in need of course we speak the gospel but we show the gospel and this is what Jesus said you remember the great parable in Matthew 5 the, the, not parable, the sermon on the mount the great sermon I meant to say Matthew 5 Jesus said look you're the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its saltiness well it's no good for anything it's said to be thrown out and you're the light of the world and a city set on a hill it can't be hidden he made it absolutely clear what our responsibility is to shine as lights. The, these are words that, that are really a call for us to have an infectious influence on the community around us. You see, without that, Christ said, well, you're no good. Might as well, you're wasting your time. And I have to say, as I travel around, I do encounter, not here, I mean, man, this is a... a a great church to be in but you meet groups that are, it's like a holy club where Christians are huddled together and they, they just pursue a bunch of self-serving events and you think well this church is no light shining out there in fact in some cases it could even block the light from shining to those outside the church and the whole purpose of having a light is that it gives light Jesus said, look, you'd be a very foolish person if you had a light and covered it with something. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. He said, don't hide your light under a basket. Luke 11, 38, no one, when they've lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place under a basket. They put it on a lampstand so those who come may see the light. And that's what we want. You see, Jesus said, if, if for any reason... You don't keep your light shining. Well, you're, you're like the wasted salt. Absolutely useless. And it's a solemn warning. I mean, we, we can get so complacent. Let your light, remember it again. And let your light shine before everyone. There's no, no exclusions here. So they see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Couldn't be clearer. And through scripture we get this. And here's a warning. Let me tell you. You know, in the letters to the seven churches, there's a solemn warning to Ephesus. Ephesus had been a great church. You know the letter to the Ephesians, all that was happening in Ephesus. But Jesus said, look, you repent and do the works. Do the works. Or what? I'll remove the light from its place reinforcing what Jesus taught in this parable. So as we wait for the Lord, we, we've got to be lights that shine, having a witness that's seen by concrete things that we do, not just talking about our love for the Lord, but by showing it in the way we love others. Now quickly, of course, uh, we've got to move on to the finality of our choices. And this is the climax anticipation. Yes, we have to be active. Yes, we have to move forward, but we have to anticipate. You see, in this story, at the end, there are only two categories. 
Because those who have a relationship with the bridegroom and they join the wedding feast and those that don't. There are those that are clearly prepared and those who are lacking the one thing they needed to get into the feast. And we've got to pay attention. That's why we've got to pay attention to our own relationship with God. We've stressed already that none of us can buy or borrow admission to the kingdom of heaven. None of us can rely on anybody else's faith. We have to pay attention to our relationship with the Lord. These foolish bridesmaids, while they were off trying to to get ready for the bridegroom's arrival, scrambling to get oil, he came. And those that were prepared, they just went into the wedding banquet. And listen, how this parable finishes. This is a very solemn moment. It says a door was shut. Verse 10, the door was shut. And as you read the New Testament, you realize Jesus constantly stressed not being ready means missing out completely. That's what it means. And when the unprepared bridesmaids came later and they said, Lord, Lord, open to us. He said, I don't know you. I don't know you. And notice what he said. You see, it's about relationship. This is not about abstract theology. Do you believe A, B, C, D, and E, and F, and G about Jesus? It's about knowing him. It's about relationship. The question is whether you know him or not. It's, it's only a personal relationship with Christ that gives us the opportunity to be part of the eternal face. Now, I want to say one thing. Don't let the reality of the shut door lead you to think that because you lived a life you're not proud of, and many, of it, many people have, that you're inevitably excluded from the kingdom. Never forget the criminal who was crucified with Christ. Such an important example. That first convert, this was a really bad guy. But he responded to Christ because he saw the reality of Christ's kingdom. Uh, and he cried out for salvation. Really in his dying moment, he said, Lord, just, just remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus promised, yeah, you'll be with me. I mean, it's a wonderful thing. Because I don't want to discourage you and think, mine, I'm out of it. The door's closed. Listen, the kingdom of God welcomes repentant sinners. What a blessing. That's the gospel. And, and it's a wonderful ending. You know, I, I suppose if Jesus was here today, he might tell different stories that you could relate to more readily. I thought of that. Uh, Christmas or two ago, I was standing with a bunch of anxious parents and grandparents at Best Buy. It was very early in the morning, just before Christmas, because one of my grandsons, he had to get one of those very hard-to-find high-tech computer games. And, and the pressure was on. Granddad's going to get it. I'm in the lineup. And there were people around me, and they're all waiting, because there weren't many of these games available. And I thought, oh, I hope I get it. And a few folk uh, just behind me, they left the lineup to pop to McDonald's. I, said, I heard them saying, they were just time for a coffee and an egg McMuffin. Now, when they came back, the doors had opened. And we all rushed in. I got my game. A <laughs> long story. I was so happy. And then these guys rush up, banging on the counter, and they were begging, but they're gone. They said, we're going to close the doors, we don't have any. There's nothing can be done about it. 
Well, we could, I could tell that kind of a story. Maybe they'd relate to that. But, you know, it would teach you about being prepared and planning and sticking with it. But, you see, what I'm really glad about, Jesus told to talk, chose to talk about a wedding. Couldn't talk about best buying computer games in Nazareth in those days anyway. But why a wedding? Why? Well, in New Testament days like today, a wedding was a time of great joy and celebration. It was a place of feasting and rejoicing and dancing. And I think the wedding image is so important. You forget best buy and all that. What's offered, if you're going to a feast, is something wonderful and it involves great joy and celebration. I had another prop, I should have got out of here because you're looking sleepy, simply a man. <laughs> i got to get this to you. I'm getting ready for a wedding and it's going to be a celebration and we're banned from using confetti so I'm blowing bubbles, I should have tried this out. It's going to be a pretty poor wedding. No, no bubbles. <laughs> I wanted bubbles. Oh man. Hey, look at that. <laughs> I'm going to get this solution strengthened up for the big day, May the 6th. But listen, what I'm telling you this. What I'm telling you is what Jesus is offering to those that respond to him and know him is wonderful. The marriage supper of Lamb, you know this teaching. But unless correct preparations are made, some are going to lose out. And that's why Jesus talked about anticipation. He said, you keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. So listen, folk. This is the teaching of the New Testament. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. It's going to get tough. Because when they've stood the test, they'll receive the crown of life that God's promised to who? Those that love him. It's, it's relationship. So make sure you stay alert and ready by growing a solid relationship with Christ. I mean, personal relationship. And you look for creative ways for people in your community to see your light shining. That's our responsibility. And with the Lord's help, folks, stay ready. Respond personally. Keep your light shining. And you make choices that are eternally significant. The reality is... Jesus said it, verse 13, watch, because you don't know the day or the hour when the Son of Man is coming. But when he does come, it's not going to be the end. People talk about the end times. No, no, it's the beginning. When free of sin and sorrow, your real life begins. Never forget that. The reality is, Paul said it, look, our present sufferings, it is tough, it's going to be tougher. They're not worth comparing the, with the glory that will be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light, comparatively speaking, I know it seems tough now, but our light and momentary troubles, they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Oh, may God help us to say in the last words of the Bible, Surely, come quickly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Father, for that hope. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that you will help us to be ready to shine like lights in this dark world. And we just give you our praise.
for all that will follow when you take us to be with yourself. And we ask in the meantime, please help us, Lord. Forgive us for our failures and help us to live for your glory and the blessing of others. And we pray this in the powerful name, your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.